He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. champion, 
and a three-time ECW Tag Team Champion. I can't believe we got him on the show here tonight. We're going to be talking all about WrestleCon. It is the one and only Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey, thanks for coming on the Triple Threat Podcast. Triple Threat. It took a long time for me to get to the Triple Threat. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo-hoo, Mikey Whipwreck in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, episode Woo, 42, yeah. I hope you guys are, dedica- I hope you guys are ded- dedicating this to uh, Jackie Robinson, episode 42. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, wh- wh- would there be any other place we could dedicate it to or any other person? I don't know. I took, uh, I took copulate notes. <laughs> <laughs> the copulating inside notes jokes. that we were taking earlier. <laughs> inside jokes, inside jokes. Come on, that's not fair. Now, oh. listen, the, the, copi- the copious notes that we have on tonight's subject, the history between you guys, we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But like I said up the top, we're going to talk all about the big weekend we've got coming up here, and it's WrestleMania weekend, which also means that it is WrestleCon weekend. And before we get Shane's thoughts and ideas and, and kind of his feelings on WrestleCon, Mikey, you are getting into the WrestleCon fray. Are you looking forward to heading out to New Orleans here in just a couple of days' time? I'm really, really looking forward to it. This is my first uh, WrestleCon appearance. I've been kind of out of the loop for a while, and uh, really, look, really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, the fans seem excited to have me down there, get to hang out with you guys and Shane and the new effing show, Jerry Lynn. So it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be a good time. Uh, it's gonna be a great time. Sure. And Shane, of course, WrestleCon, a place that uh, I think is destined to be uh, a home for the franchise. Shane, you've been to WrestleCon a couple of times here. What's the WrestleCon vibe like? What's it going to be like when you and your ECW kin get inside of New Orleans and you guys start to dominate in only the way the extreme bunch can? Well, the thing that's great about WrestleCon is that you have fans that come from around the world. You know, and back in the day, and Mikey can attest to this, that, you know, when we were rolling with ECW and as hot as we were, we had no idea that we – we're reaching much further beyond Philadelphia. And when you hear fans coming up from New Zealand, Australia, uh, Japan, China, Germany, all over Europe, coming up and saying, man, ECW, and they, and they recite to you the infinite history of ECW, it's what strikes me as being the coolest thing about being in this business because you know, everybody in every genre, rock and roll and and economics everybody says they have the greatest fans in the world but in professional wrestling we truly do have fans that can sit there and recite to you every moment of your career every promo things that you couldn't remember till you hear them saying and mikey and jerry lynn and i are going to get a chance to sit and shoot the shit this weekend and talk to all these fans that i'm talking about i'm really looking forward to it because it's uh, especially with Mikey, <laughs> virgin territory at WrestleCon, we're going to have a great time. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And the thing about the, 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 the fans, Shane, is back in the day when I broke in, you know, we kind of had the, the fans kind of still called the marks at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. when they knew every when they, when they act like they knew everything, like, oh, they knew this, they knew this. When I first broke in, I kind of found it annoying, like, Man, these guys are telling me like what I'm doing, and you know? like I kind of found it like annoying, <laughs> you know. But, but now, yeah. all these years later, they're telling me stuff. I'm going, this is the greatest thing that they know all this stuff because half the stuff I've done I've forgotten about, and they remember. <laughs> yeah. it's great. 
I really appreciate it well, more now than I did then. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, the fans, especially me, CW Reen, I mean, you know, it, without trying to beat a dead horse because we've talked about it so often on this show, but that atmosphere in the ECW arena, and, and you and I have been around a hell of a lot of venues in, in, on the planet, and, you know, I've always heard Madison Square Garden, the mecca of professional wrestling, and I grew up watching the Pittsburgh Civic Arena. But I can honestly say that of any venue I've worked on the planet, there was nothing like the chemistry and the electricity that was the ECW arena, in large part because of the fans, but also in an equal uh, part because of the dressing room we had. I mean, we really were a family, and there were parts of that family that didn't get along at times and whatever. Oh, yeah. But if somebody was attacking Mikey Whipwreck, the dressing room was out there protecting Mikey Whipwreck. If somebody was attacking New Jack, the dressing room was out there fighting for New Jack, and, and we, we know those uh, few occasions I'm talking about, but it really yeah. was an incredible time. Like people say, grabbing lightning in a bottle, uh, that's what ECW was in, in the wrestling history. It was. And you talk about, you know, the, 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 the worldwide reach that we had. I remember, I think it was the NWA tournament we had, and they had that continued of the Japanese fans in, and there were like 50 of them, 75 of them, and they knew everything about ECW. Going, this is crazy. Like, we're just a small little Philadelphia thing, kind of get going. And these people, these guys knew everything. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I remember that. It was great. And that was back in 94. Was, geez. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, you know you're talking, thing, keep in mind that. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you talk about that, that worldwide reach, and you guys didn't realize it, that in, in Philadelphia, thinking that you're more of a regional-based promotion, that you're reaching all over the world. And we've seen it evolve from tape trading to file sharing to now literally being able to type in whatever the hell you want and seeing it at your fingertips. Has there been one spot specifically in the world that you were shocked got ECW or was into the ECW product if, by going to a WrestleCon or any other convention across the country, Shane? Have you seen anybody that you were, like, shocked was exposed to ECW? Yeah, for me, there was a uh, about uh, I think it was the San Francisco uh, WrestleMania a few years ago, and a couple guys came through, and they were from Russia, and they started talking about ECW and how they had gotten through tape trading and how there was this huge subculture in Russia for ECW and extreme wrestling, and uh, that was shocking to me because. You know, at the time that ECW was running, we were literally a couple of years off of the fall of the wall. And, you know, that, that, that this somehow had permeated through that wall uh, and got, you know, got a foothold there was astounding to me. Uh, but, uh, again, for all the fans there, because, again, in my thinking at the time we were running, I knew we were red hot in Philadelphia and New York. And then once we yep. started running Pittsburgh and Cleveland, we were red hot in those places. But 50 miles beyond that, I would have had no clue. And yet, you know, we, we now know what stamp ECW left on the wrestling industry. Now, Mikey, same question, but to you, has there been one spot or something that kind of stood out to you where you saw somebody and you're like, how the hell did they get to see our product in ECW? Uh, not really. I've kind of just gotten to, the, the world has become so small with the internet and everything else. Uh, yeah. you know, for me, it's just become, oh, okay, cool. It, 
you know, not not to downplay it at all, but it's just uh, just the way the world's become. It's just nothing surprises me anymore. But it's it's amazing that the the places that the ECW has has made its way into, you know, and, and as you know, some of these other countries they kind of open up to the world, they're going to be exposed to it too. So we'll get a, a new generation of people watching it, you know, China and I guess some some of these uh, Arab nations that are starting to get, uh, you know, worldwide stuff. They're going to start to come onto it too. So yeah. Uh, well, I want to jump in here for a second because, you know, Mikey, I mean, he's relatively new to, to Twitter. I mean, you know, what, Mikey, a couple months? Um, yeah, maybe. Like that. Yep. And, you know, he came on and immediately fans jumping on that and then to see, and this is, I think, very typical for ECW. You know, when people always ask, well, how did ECW make that connection and how did they get those loyal fans. We always hear the term the, the fans drank Paul's Kool-Aid. What it was is exactly what you're seeing with Mikey since he's been on Twitter. Calling fans, you know, that are buying his t-shirt and, you know, that, that interaction with the fans, you know, is as one-to-one as it can get. There's no magic sauce. There's no special Kool-Aid that anybody's drinking. It's that kind of connection when you have someone like Mikey Whipwreck who comes on Twitter immediately and he's calling fans out and thanking them for buying his T-shirt, et cetera. That's the kind of chemistry that was ECW. It was very one-on-one, very personal. And any fan that was ever involved in any of those ECW arena shows or Madhouse and Extreme or the Golden Dome shows will tell you, I had the coolest fucking experience at ECW because New Jack, Sabu, Taz, Mikey Whipwreck, Shane Douglas – Somebody talked to me and, uh, you know, just a real cool back and forth. And Mikey's underscoring that right now with, with Twitter. It's very cool. Yeah, it, for, for me, it's one of those, you know, without the fans, I mean, this probably says, sounds cliche too. You know, without the fans, there would be no me. You know what I mean? But I, right. I just appreciate the support. And even, you know, 10, 15 years later, after I've really done anything on TV or anything like that, I mean, they're still supporting. You know, if, if right. me following them on Twitter and, you know, thanking them for buying a shirt or, or, or buying some 8x10s and stuff. I mean, if, you know, if that's a small way I could pay back for, for them allowing me to live the life I have now, well, then, hey, I'm cool with that. Amen. But the point I'm making, man, that, again, that's so ECW. But I can't imagine uh, if I bought a T-shirt through com from whoever that I would get a phone call from that person. And, no, but if you know, it's, no, but uh, you would, you would, Shane, provide your email address, and they would then try to sell you a subscription to the WWE Network for nine ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get a discount. We should get some kind of discount, discount. shouldn't we? We pay extra. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, too we pay. We pay the Heyman tax. <laughs> yeah. But now, hey, Mikey, with Twitter, I mean, one thing that was kind of funny about when you joined Twitter was it took a little bit, it was almost like a grace period, where how many answers did you have to give out as to you being the actual Mikey Whipwreck and people thinking that you were a fake account for a while? Because I saw that back and forth a lot, and people kept thinking that you were not the real Mikey Whipwreck. Yeah, well, first of all, if someone's going to pretend to be somebody on Twitter, why would they pick me? (laughs) I mean, I don't even want to be me half the time. Why someone else would want to be me is is uh, beyond me. But that's, people say, oh, you need to get verified. So I sent a tweet out, oh, verify me. And then Shane says, 
take a picture of yourself with your Twitter handle verified. I'm going, yeah, but then I have to put a picture of myself, which would defeat the purpose. Then I would lose followers. So <laughs> it's a past 22. Well, it, it, let's take a little slam towards Twitter here for a second because Francine and I have been playing with them for the last several months to try to get verified on there. And for the last several months, it's been, well, the page is down or, or not. Now it's like as of last week, they're going to some new process and they're working on it. When they get the page up, it'll be available. And I'm, you know, so the fans are constantly, like, even like now, after all this time of being on, they're saying, you know, is it really Shane Douglas? Why there no verify? And well, ask Twitter yeah. that question because <laughs> I'd like to know too. Yeah, it's it's kind of messed up the way they do it. Then I I see people with like five followers who I've never heard of. This not this person's verified. I'm going, hmm, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> Plus, I figured if I took a picture of myself with my Twitter handle and put it up, they go, well, that's not Mikey because this guy is like yeah. a big fat bald guy trying to be King Kong Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, so they would think it's well, my not question me. So it, would be, it would defeat the purpose. But my question is, anybody that would want to, I, I mean, I, if you look at Wikipedia, I've got a second wife that I've never known about. She's included in pictures <laughs> and everything else. So you can imagine my surprise. Uh, but what's <laughs> to stop one of these idiots from going on there and saying, you know, here's a, you can pull a million pictures of Mikey Whipwreck or Shane Douglas off the internet. And right. putting that up there and then saying verifying through there. So, I mean, it just seems to me like another rib that anybody that that really wanted to could probably, you know, rib the system and say they're verified as Shane Douglas or Mikey Whipwreck or Tim Buck too and, and be on there. Yeah. But at one point, the, the, the Internet Movie Database, I guess, had me on there as married to some lady I've never heard of. I had – three extra kids that I never had. So when I was dating my, my future wife, she's like, do you have, like, a wife and, like, kids I don't know about? I'm like, no. I'm like, well, I'm just going, oh. So I had, to send them, I had to send them an email saying, look, this I do not have this. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. So, and it took, like, six months for them to take it down. It's I go, crazy, so you put, this informa- you put this information up with no problem. But for me to get it taken down, you're making me improve this. Yeah. I go, this is Yeah. It was a... Uh, it was pretty funny. Yeah, you know, I gotta, I gotta welcome John in here now because this is kind of a funny topic. But John, who was the one about a year ago? There was somebody who had a fake account that got verified in like a day. I want to say, was it Bobby Heenan? I can't remember who it was. John, do you recall who, uh, who that fake Twitter account that got verified was? Wasn't it Bobby Heenan? And and they were saying it was his wife or something, something funny like that. But I just saw recently that Virgil was de-verified, so now he's. No longer verified, <laughs> which I thought was funny. <laughs> oh, only Virgil could do that, right? Poor I mean, Virgil. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> that, that poor guy. <laughs> wow. So so bad. So embarrassing uh, for, for poor uh, Virgil. But it's one thing I, I wanted, since both of you guys were on, I had to ask you this. And I was actually thinking about this before when I obviously knew you both were coming on. And so many people online, when you type in, you know, a Whipwreck versus Shane Douglas, so many people said Mikey was Shane's best opponent. They had great chemistry. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, what is it? Is it that Shane is such a great worker? Uh, he's carrying Mikey. No, Mikey's no, that's well, not or, it. or the opposite. Or is, or is Mikey such a great worker? He's carrying Shane. 
Is it the great chemistry yes. together? What is it about hey, you guys? Because if, Shane if, obviously if Shane is a good worker. No, Mikey yes. obviously a good worker. <laughs> so what is it? With well, you? For, is for it my, just the good chemistry you have together? Well, from my point of view, it was like, – I, I remember when Mikey first – when I first started noticing Mikey that he was setting the ring up and busting his ass and, you know, carting the ring around and doing all the extra stuff around the arena – and then he and a couple other guys would get in the ring after they'd set it up and they'd start bumping around the ring and wrestling around the ring. And, you know, that it, it, it caught everybody's attention. Like, damn, look at this kid go, you know, and uh, that was how he got his foot in the door. And as far as my matches with him was for me, I always felt most comfortable in the ring when guys trusted me and, you know, were willing to, to go on. And it was, you know, pulling teeth sometimes. Like Sabu was a little bit less less than comfortable initially, but uh, Mikey went out there, and any guy asked Mikey to do in a match, he would bust his ass doing. But then equally, you know, as soon as we would turn it around and, and get it, Mikey would take it, you know, and, and, you know, really draw the excitement of the crowd. And I think in large part because of that character that he was playing at the time, like a modern-day chud, uh, you know, from the old UWF days, uh, here's this this uh, improbable upstart stepping into the ring with, you know, all these killer wrestlers, Taz, uh, Kevin Sullivan, you know, and all the rest of these guys. And, you know, Mikey slowly got over the fans that way because he was the ultimate underdog. But when he got into the match, could wrestle his fucking ass off. And in ECW, that was all. That was the ultimate litmus test. You either had it inside those ropes or you didn't. And if you didn't, those fans were were brutal and would would you know basically embarrass you to the point of not wanting to come back. Mikey came in and did it at, at a time, you know, he was right after that initial class of of the guys that started ECW and came in there. And that was no easy task to get over that audience. I'm, I've always said I'm so thankful I was in that first generation class because to get over in that building, like we saw Mikey do, like we saw Lance Storm do, and so many others after that, Rhino and a bunch of others after. But Mikey came in and did it. It sounds like a cliche, but he did it the old-fashioned way. He came in and he got over with the crowd by working his ass off. And in another word you can throw around with that is legitimacy. You couldn't fake the ECW fans. You couldn't work the ECW fans. If you sucked, they saw right through it, and they could tell a gimmick when they saw a gimmick. Mikey Whipwreck was able to go into the ring and pull it off by executing on a nightly basis and at the same time playing that incredible character, that underdog character that made him such a mascot to the fans. So it was for me, anytime I worked with Mikey, knowing that I had those gems to work with. It was just a question of putting it in the right place and sitting back and watch Mikey go. You know, it was, it was really as simple as that. I know that sounds overly simplistic, but that really was, from my point of view, what it was at that point. Now, Mikey, what do you think I, about I, the uh, great chemistry you have with Shane? Because obviously you're both good workers, but it felt like you guys were having some of the better matches in a slew of great matches. Uh, you know what it was is, and I don't know if Shane remembers this. The, the first time I got to work with Shane was 
I don't know, I don't remember where it was, but we did a a battle royal, and, and the winner got to, to to work Shane at the end of the night. Well, I won the battle royal, and I was petrified. I was because <laughs> not that it was it was Shane, but anything I'd always done was it was a okay, Mikey, go in there, go in there and get beat up. It's pretty. It was just pretty much yeah. Tough. And and then the finish, you know what I mean? So I'm like, okay. And then I did a couple things with Jason Knight, but he would call everything from A to Z, you know. And it was basically memorization for the most part. So when I when I talked to Shane, and Shane gave me a, a bit of a, a, a razzing because I come over and see what he wants to do. He's like, oh, I'm busy, you know, c- come back later. I said, okay. So I'd, I'd leave about half hour later, I'd kind of like, wait, he kind of looked at me, and he'd go, hey, oh, wait a minute, hold on. He's like, he's constantly ribbing me, because he wouldn't, we wouldn't really talk about anything. Now, it's like maybe 20 minutes, 20 minutes before the match, and I am literally shitting my pants. Like, I am seriously like, oh my God, like, I, I know the finish. I, I think it's probably the belly to belly with the finish, and I'm going, I have, I have no, I have no idea what's going to go on. So, I, Paul, Paul sees me, he goes, what's the matter? I go, Shane's not talking to me. I said, I'm just like, he goes, he goes, trust him. You, you'll be fine. I said, I know, but I, I want to, and it was just like, and <laughs> we, we went out there and I said, you know what? I said, I, I've seen this. I saw you on WWE television in like, I don't know, like early, early nineties, I guess. And then, you know, you, you were texting with Ricky Steamboat, right? And, I, and of course yeah. I've seen what you do in ECW. So I'm going, he knows what he's doing. Like, I don't, it was the first time I experienced anybody calling anything in the ring with me. And it was just so easy. There was no <laughs> thinking involved. It was, you know, we had like a spot or two, you know, we had the finish obviously, but mm-hmm. there was no thinking. It was like everything. When it felt like something should happen, it happened. And when I felt like I should probably go over here, he, he led me where we needed to go. And it was just, natural and you taught me that when you listen to the people and you feel the people and you have you work with somebody who knows what they're doing he goes the match will just flow there's no need to think and it was just honestly it was like a night off because i i left the ring you know having a full we did like 25 minutes i think the first time and it was just like yeah that that was probably easier than the three minute squashes i did with 911 (laughs) (laughs) well but really that is you know that is what it's supposed to be, and I, 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 this, this is one of the things that frustrates me to no end. Uh, I understand that you know we're, how the industry is apparently done today, and you know that Mikey and I would sit and talk if we were in the business today for six hours beforehand, going over and over and over and over stuff. But uh, if you want, to me, when I watch the kids, the ones that that follow that line of thinking that that way of doing business they look stressed out to no end they i call the scared in the headlights look they they get in the ring and they're trying to remember and regurgitate and instead of just going out there and having fun which is what this business is supposed to be because really what in the the ultimate get you know scrape away all the other bullshit of the business if mikey whipbrick goes out and plays his character he knows how to play his character. He's play, yeah. He is the character. And if I go out and play my character, then all we really have to do is have one or two segues in, 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 the, in the center there someplace. And the rest of yeah. it called in ring and listening to the crowd. 
And now everything comes across as spontaneous. Everything comes across as legit and real. And I, I we always use throw. We always say, preface when we say this word organic. <laughs> it sounds like so contrived, but it really is yeah. organic. You know, when, when you go out and do that, and like for me, same way back around. I would go out like the first time working with Mikey. I, I had seen what he was capable of doing in the ring, and I knew where he was coming from with that character. But I wasn't sure if, like, because I really didn't know Mikey that well at the time. Is is this all a work, or is he really that nervous? And I, but once we got in the ring and settled down and, and got into the match, and it just sort of flowed from there, and it, it really was easy a night off because he was going out and executing Mikey Whipwreck, and for me as the franchise playing off that, it's just you know throw a throw a left or a right in here and there and, and just take it this way or take it that way. And he keeps on portraying that character. Uh, it, it's easy, and that, but that is what it's supposed to be. That's what our business is supposed to be. And I, I always talk about, you know, all the greats that I've gotten the opportunity to work with in my career. And I go back and look at, at no time during my career, even when I was greener than goose shit, uh, going out and working with Dick Murdoch or Pez Watley or, a fill in the blank of, of, of all the greats that I've worked with. Looking back on it, it was easy money. You'd go to the ring and just listen and follow and execute. And it really was simple. And that's what the business ultimately, in my mind, is supposed to be. Yeah. I'd like to think so. <laughs> Sometimes no, it felt like we know, right? Time, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you say. Like I watched a, I, I was on a, I did an appearance at a show last month, and it, it was these two guys that, literally, I'm sitting there going, these guys are made of any WrestleMania. I said, I guarantee that Lesnar and Reigns are not going to put this much thought into the match they're having in front of eighty thousand yeah. people. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm just watching them. You know, me a little advice. I said, I said on, honestly, I said this might come across as me sounding old. I said, but you're doing way too much. I said, yeah. not, not, I said, not, and I don't want to sound like an old guy. And I'm trying to say that you're, you know, you're, you're doing too much just because I'm an old guy. I said, but you're not, you do a lot of stuff. I said, but if you want to do a high spot with like 50 steps to it, okay, great. That's fine. But they're only going to really remember the last part of the spot. I said, mm-hmm. and then after you do the spot, if you don't let them digest it and absorb it right, and let them react to it, give it, you know, a minute or so before you go to the next one. I said, you might as well just mm-hmm. do one constant thing for 15 minutes. I said, and you're memorizing everything. I said, you're not giving yourself any, any room to change plans. I said, because right. what if you're doing plan A and the fans you're in front of are not buying plan A? You, you should have a plan Bingo. B or a plan C in the back of your head where you can go at, at any point. Fortunately, what happened was they blew some spot in the middle and they had yep. – no idea what to do. They were like, yeah. you had that, that it seems like a, a five minute stare of like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Before somebody finally hit yep. somebody, you know mm. what I mean? And, you know, and it was just uncomfortable and I felt very but, bad for them because they, they tried all afternoon to put this match together. And once, once the game plan got thrown off, that was it. And they had a really hard time getting them back. So yeah, they, they come to deer in headlights and, you know, that, that's the thing about it is, like, here's the difference. When I was a kid in the business, uh, 
if you went out to the ring, like say Mike Whipwreck and Shane Douglas would have regards, you know, gone over a match all day long, and had, we thought it was great in the dressing room, but we got to the ring and regurgitated it perfectly, but it didn't garner a reaction from the crowd. If Bill Watts was the booker of that show, you came back and you see the cowboy with his hands on his hips, leaning on one hip, and you knew you were ready to catch hell uh, because your job wasn't to go out there and regurgitate a bunch of moves. Your job was to entertain the crowd. And yeah. if they weren't buying it, and, and that's where it all breaks apart. You know, it's, and I've seen exactly the story you just told. I've seen that a thousand times on the indies. And I, like you said, they're doing way too much. They're putting way too much pressure on themselves to try to yep. remember 60, 80, 90, 100 moves or 150 moves. Just go out there and, and do it and execute. Be, play, you know, know your character, play the character, and then interweave off of that. You know, and, you know there's a, a million little setups for matches. You can have a single set of heat, double set of heat, whatever. But whatever it's going to be, if you if you play off of those those mantras of here's the Mikey Whipwreck character, here's the franchise character, and then the chemistry that from there settles down, it's it's like taking candy from a baby. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing too because I'm not sure if you got this when you started, but when I started, they were telling me you're doing too much, you're doing way too much. Yeah, you're doing too much, and you're doing it too fast. Uh, yeah, says, slow down. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and Terry Funk said he said to me, "God damn it, Mikey, slow down." And if you think you're doing <laughs> too goddamn slow, slow down. I said, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and then, and then I'm I'm watching these kids now, 25 years later, and I'm saying to myself, "God, they're doing too much." And I'm, I'm t- they're they're doing more moves than I did, and I thought back then I did too much. Right. You know. And I, and I get the business change, and it's going to evolve a bit. I, I still think, but there's, there's a there's a lack of, like you said, Shane, being organic. Well, here's kind here's of the difference, though. When when Terry Funk came and said that to you, did you listen to it or just ignore him and say, "Oh, he's just an old guy trying to slow me down because I'm faster than he is, and you know the business has passed him by"? Or did you listen to every syllable he said? Oh, I listened to every syllable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Did, did, I ever, did I ever tell you a story about him sitting next to me at the Holiday Inn in Philadelphia by, by the fireplace? Did I ever tell you the story? No. No. It's, yeah, but <laughs> anything with Funk's a great story, so I'm all ears. He, he gets a six-pack of beer, and he goes, Mikey, what are you doing tonight? I go, oh, nothing, just kind of hanging out. Come down. Come sit here with me. I said, okay. So we're sitting by the fireplace, and he goes, and he opens up a beer, and he gives me one. And he goes, you know, when I broke in in Texas with my dad, and harm, 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 and then we added that there, and then I came with Dory Jr., and then we started to go to NWA. We worked with Holly Race, and harm, 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 and then we went down to Florida with Dr. Jerry Graham, who's going to do a harm, 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 harm. This went on for the whole six pack, from I'm saying a good hour, hour and a half. Right, and I, I just, I'm sitting there going, this guy's fucked up. Like this guy's seriously <laughs> like, right? So he goes, well, are you on the show tomorrow? I said, I said, yeah, because this we did, we did the arena show on the Friday night, and then we did TV on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, right. So, so he, he goes up to his room, and I'm thinking to myself, that was the most coolest, <laughs> most whacked out, insane thing I've ever been part. <laughs> so I get up to my room. 
and Paulie calls me, and he goes, he goes, hey, you know, come up here. So I go up to his room, and he goes, Terry Funk fucking loves you. And I go, why? He goes, he just fucked with you for an hour and a half, and you didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when, when, I, when, I was tra- when I was training guys, I said to them, I said, that is a highly exaggerated example of coming in and keeping your mouth shut. I said, yeah. because, because in my head, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> but this is really, and in, in between the hammer, 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 I kind of got the story <laughs> where he was going, you know? Yeah. But, but I said to the guys, I said, this is an example of someone who had an ungodly amount of experience, who was a legend in the business, who at almost 50 yeah. years old at that point was still on top. I said, he mm-hmm. took the time to sit down and talk to me. And yeah, he played the old timer thing and he kind of messed with me a little bit, ribbed me. I said, but I sat there and I took it. So from that day on though, every time I saw Terry, he got a big smile on his face, said, hello, always watch my matches. He would give me advice. If I asked him for something, yeah. he'd give me advice. And just because I sat, listened to him and I, I passed his quote unquote test. He wanted to see if you were going to sit and listen or if you just like sit there and like excuse yourself or whatever. And right. it, it was a test. That's exactly what it was, but very similar to that, but like on an alternate vein, uh, you know, remember how high strung I used to be. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I, I called Terry one day, uh, you know, ready to strangle somebody. I said, how the fuck after all these years how the fuck have you put up with this bullshit and I'm, I'm cutting a promo for 20 minutes and at the end he goes well Santa I'll tell you and he's going on you know in the, in the same spiel and he goes I'll tell you and he kept asking me in the middle of it as he's going through that spiel yeah Santa you know, are you listening to me Santa yeah I'm listening to you, Terry well you know Santa you gotta <laughs> man, I'll tell you Santa you, you listen to me uh, and he's going same exact thing just drawing this whole thing out for 20 minutes what he could have said in three seconds and after 20 minutes, he well, Shane, I can tell you, there's only one way, God damn it. Shane, are you listening to me? <laughs> there's only one way, Shane. There's only one way you can do it. Shane, are you listening to me? I said, yeah, Terry, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you, Terry. He goes, well, Shane, there's only one way, God damn it, you can put up with this business. <laughs> Shane, are you listening to me, Shane? There's only one way you can put up with this business. Shane, you're going to be crazy like a fox. <laughs> Shane, you're going to be crazy like a fox. And then he went right back <laughs> into the character. And it was the first time in all the years I'd known Terry that he had dropped that front. I'd always thought right. Terry was Terry. That was Terry, the, the crazy yep. funk. And it, it, like the light bulb went on. Like, holy shit, it's all a work. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, I, at that point, I was 15 years in the business and was still learning. Uh, <laughs> every night working with Terry. He was incredible. He is incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. Like you, you can't get to where he got in the business, and be and be Terry. You know what I mean? There, there had to no. be more than, you know, than what 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 he let everybody know. That's oh crazy. hell! You go back and you watch those matches, especially those those early NWA matches and stuff. When you know they were he and Dory working with the Briscoes, and my God, I mean, just you know, it's it's one of those things that sort of like doesn't get mentioned today. You know, it's like right. when you hear about Funk, you hear about like the ECW years and, you know, certain periods of his career, but you hear very little about that period. Go back and watch those matches. My God, That's you want a how-to manual? It's that You want to learn professional wrestling? Go back and watch those matches. Astounding. 
That's amazing. He, he, he let you in on the secret. It's like when the Japanese, they start speaking English to you. Like, holy yeah, crap. yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they understood everything I was saying. But how, yeah, wait, how many times I always, I always tell people about the Terry Funk windmill, right? And right. you know, you've worked with them, right? And how many? That's that's the. I'd rather have Taz suplex me on my head than take that that windmill from Terry on a nightly basis, because oh, he would knock your dick stiff every night. And, and wherever where, he was hitting you, wherever he hit, yeah. <laughs> There's no, okay, time. you know exactly where you're going to get. It was just like just clubbering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're not going to complain to him, you know. Just just no. take it and bitch under your under your breath, you know. It was. <laughs> yep. Uh, Mikey, how was that? How uh, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. I learned so oh, much working great. with Terry. I, I really credit him with, you know, I, up. up to Terry, uh, up until the time I worked with Terry, I was Ricky Steamboat's junior partner, and I and I learned an right. inordinate amount from Ricky. I really did, but as a babyface, mm-hmm. and I yeah. always thought that being a heel was just the opposite of being a babyface, which is hardly that. It's a very much different thing. Thank God that I got angled with Terry Funk going into ECW, because everything that the franchise became in ECW rests right at the feet of Terry Funk. Everything I learned from Terry Funk in those early ECW days, working him in Delaware and Timbuktu, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, wherever, uh, Terry Funk taught me how to be a main event heel. That was stuff. That was great. That stuff was great with you and, and Terry and, uh, and Sherry. I said, oh, my God. Yeah, Sherry was – Sherry's another one that, you know, we when we talk about ECW – she sort of gets lost in the fray sometimes, but Terry, uh, Sherry was such a uh, such a sweetheart to, to begin with. I mean, just yeah, and was. tougher than and tougher than nails. You know, she was tougher than most guys in the dressing room. But uh, <laughs> you know, there's a story I always tell people about Sherry. I remember we did the the three way dance, and afterwards we were shooting the promo at the uh, the old Marriott. Uh, by the Philadelphia airport. And, right. uh, you know, Terry's being interviewed by uh, Joey Styles and uh, uh, Todd, uh, Todd Gordon's out there. And, you know, I'm trying to listen to the door, and I think I hear, like, around the point that I'm supposed to come in, so I break in. And Terry, we, we had spoken none of this out. You know, it was just to be a just a promo. And yeah. And Terry says, you know, I'm expecting Terry to say, well, it's my belt. If you can take it from me, blah, blah, blah. And instead he, he throws a curveball to me. He says, well, Shane, if you think you're the champ, he takes me and hands me the belt, <laughs> which threw a curveball <laughs> to me. I'm like, I didn't expect that. So being a being a prick, I just thought what, what the first thing you would do is, fuck you, I'm not, you're not going to hand me a belt. And I, I went to throw it back on his shoulder. And, like, I couldn't do it if he gave me a million dollars and gave me a thousand tries to do it again when I threw it. It's like the belt wrapped around Terry's head and danced around his head. Like it was the craziest <laughs> thing. Like, like it was a, like it was a fake, like CGI or something. And yeah. I'm thinking he's going to haul off and knock my dick stiff. Right. And, uh, you know, of course he comes back and it's with the smack and we go at it. Well, we get pulled apart and, you know, pull apart. And I'm thinking like, who the hell is like, somebody's, I can't get loose. I'm fighting, trying to get loose and I can't get loose. I go back and I watch the tape later. 
Sherry Martell has me scissored, and I can't get away from her. I'm fighting <laughs> to get away from her. Like she's like she's got me stretched. Like I can't get loose, and it's Sherry Martell. That's how tough Sherry was. And uh, it was just you know go back and watch that footage. You'll see what I'm talking about. Sherry Martell has me scissored, and there's no way to get away from her. Uh, you know, and and you know just I I miss Sherry. She was. Such a sweetheart. I'd known her for years before that, and then working with her just took it to a whole new level for me because she was such a professional and so good at what she did. Uh, she really helped elevate me at the same time. Yeah, she's always nice to me. She was super sweet. Yes. Now, i got to get you guys' opinion on this because I don't know if you guys saw this. Big Twitter war between Cody Rhodes and the Disco Inferno, Glenn Gilberti. Not sure which side either one of you are on, but Disco made some good points. Kenny Omega kicked Cody Rhodes in the face, created you know a huge gash, bleeding everywhere. Obviously, the Japanese have more of a, a strong style, but there's some other matches going on there where they might have taken it too far and they might injure their necks and, and so on and so forth. So Cody had a good point and, and kind of just re- going back at him. What, I don't know if you guys saw that or what your thoughts were. were are you on Disco's side, on your Cody's side, or are you on nobody's side? So what do you, what do you guys think about that? Uh, Mikey? I, I haven't seen it, you know, but uh, me personally, I'd rather get kicked in the face than dropped on my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, I... <laughs> In, in my way of thinking, I'm not taking either side. So, like, Mikey, I haven't seen the footage, but to me, this goes back to what Mikey and I have been talking about for the last 20 minutes of, you know, how Mikey sat and listened to Terry Funk tell a gibberish story for an hour and a half uh, out of respect and listening and along the way learning. Uh, the same thing with me. I was brought up in the business at a time that I was told to keep my mouth shut, my eyes and ears open and did that uh it seems today uh, as we see after we you know waded into the uh uh the sammy uh uh brain fart uh eddie edwards when he, yeah and eddie edwards when he was supposed to hit the chair and like right. that me, in, in my way of thinking if mikey whipwreck is laying there with a chair on his chest, and I'm supposed to have the chair. I, it's not a question I'm going to re- try really hard not to miss. I cannot miss. It's, you cannot miss. I cannot hit Mikey Whipwreck in the face with a baseball bat and say, gee whiz, afterwards, Mikey, I'm really sorry. Um, it's, you know, so, again, without having seen the footage, I, I – there's, you know, obviously anything, any kind of Twitter war when you see all the trolling shit going back and forth. I'm sure there's valid points on both sides. But I, I think in a nutshell, what was trying to be said was, and I'd said this before, is that we, you know, we, we're seeing these injuries at an exponential rate. And injuries off of stuff that should be able to be done 25 times a night and not have an injury. And yet we're having injuries 27 times out of 25. Uh, Somewhere along the line, something has been lost in the way that we were all taught. Rule number one, you take care of your opponent. 
Now, does that mean that there's never going to be an accident? There's never going to be a slip? Of course not. But Kevin Sullivan, I had asked Kevin Sullivan this question about a year and a half ago to, on something completely unrelated. And I asked him how many matches he had had. And he said, I just figured this out. And he you know, said it was only 30,000 matches over his career. And I said, in those 30,000 matches, how many times had you been injured seriously enough to the point that you could not make that night's match? And he said, one time in my last match, uh, a kid dropped me on my head and fucked my neck up and I was unable to, to go on. So think about that. He had done something and look at Kevin's style, pretty violent, a little bit sloppy, did it 30,000 times and didn't get injured. And now we're seeing these injuries on, on like a, a seemingly rotational basis. Like they're just part of the, the, the show now. And yeah. in ECW, as crazy as we were in ECW, there were injuries, no question about it. We all had injuries along the way. But when you boil it down to and extrapolate it down to, to the number of times that we took bumps and the number of times that we did these insane things in ECW, those injuries were very few and far between in comparison to the number of stunts or spots or big bumps that we took. Uh, and yeah. I don't know where that got lost that somewhere it, it's, it's not important, I guess, or it doesn't matter if, if I dump Mikey on his head and, and fuck his neck up or kick him in the face or hit him in the face with a baseball bat. That does matter. It matters to me. Because I don't want to have to come back into the dressing room and see Mikey's orbital bone broken or some big gash on his face because I was careless uh, and, yeah. and, and didn't give a shit. I, I, so I, I don't know. I, I have to go back and watch the footage as to what's being said. But, you know, we're, the, the big thing to me is like this whole thing with Twitter and all these social medias. So JP, Mikey, or Chad says something I don't like. So now me and my minions have to attack you because <laughs> we didn't like yeah, what you said. So now we're going to have to destroy you. Uh, That's right. Is anybody entitled to an opinion today? It's uh, <laughs> without having, I mean, here's the thing in the business that certainly has changed. We had to have thick skin back in my day because if you didn't have thick skin, you wouldn't last a night in the dressing room. Now it seems yeah. like everybody's skin is so paper thin, tissue paper thin. That how dare you say something bad about me? And it, 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 with all due respect, and what I read with Glenn saying, I didn't hear him attack Cody or or uh, uh, anybody. It, it, he made a comment, and yet somehow that was taken as an umbrage to the, to those listening to the, to the to, you know, to Kenny Omega or Cody Rhodes. And, you know, therefore we've got to attack and we've got to go to this low road to try to make fun of as we're making a point. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems to me to be strange and it's, uh, you know, but that said, you know, some of the things that Cody said were pretty funny and, you know, it's, well, he's a funny you know, guy. So it's, yeah. You know, so it's all over the place, but Jesus, like, I can't imagine me having said something so 
overt to somebody, you know, before me, like, for, you know, say, for instance, Tiger Conway Jr., uh, you know, at that time, you know, he was on the downside of his career. I would never have in a million, and I'm not picking on Tiger, I'm just using him as an example at the top of my head. I wouldn't have said boo to Tiger Conway Jr. Why? Because he was an experienced vet above me and before me in the business. Um, whether he was right or wrong, didn't matter. I sat and took the criticism and went on about my business. Uh, just seems to me, as I read you know, the back and forth on the Twitter today, like I said, there were some comical things in there, but I, you know, my takeaway was, like, how has the business gotten here? You know, where anybody can say, you know, shoot anything they want, to, you know, just, just go to the lowest common denominator. Your mother wears army boots. Uh, and, wow. And, you know, <laughs> that's my lowest common denominator, right? <laughs> so very, very strange, all of it. Very strange. So what happened? Omega kicked Cody in the head? Is that what happened? Yes. He left a big, uh, a huge, you know, scar almost looked like, he, you know, he got in, in an M- in an MMA fight or something. He got, you know, wrecked or whatever. But he has this big scar in his face, so Disco put the kids today aren't safe and, you know, things like that. You guys need to work a little bit safer. Let's not hurt each other. And then Cody jumped all over him. Well, I mean, could could have been they had a, a little bit of agreement to, to work uh, to work snug. Maybe hard way. Oh, absolutely. Maybe little, absolutely, they did. Maybe, yeah. maybe a little more hard way than anticipated, but I, I don't know. I mean, we, we did it back in our day, you know, hard way me, I guess, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I remember Vader yeah. with uh, Cactus Jack, you know, got on the hard way in WCW. Um, and, yeah. you know, Beck was cut, looked very similar, you know, that cut over the eye and cut open pretty bad. Didn't didn't Lesnar bust open Randy Orton? Yes, for real. Yeah. Yep. Now was that like a uh, a work shoot type thing, or did he just he... agreed yeah, upon we'll, spot we'll with that? Yeah. Say I mean, was it on purpose? It was a gr- an agreed upon spot in the match. So I guess you could say it's somewhat of a work shoot. They they acted like it was real, but Lesnar really cut open uh, Randy Orton. Well, that's, so this, that's, this, could be, this could be the same thing. Yep. Yeah, that's you know that is you know if it's agreed upon, then 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 there's no complaint. Uh, you know, it's a little funny side side story that was uh, I was working Candido, I believe it was an XPW, and you know for the first time in our career, the two Triple Threat members were working against each other, and I we get out there and we get into it, and we're having a pretty good match, and I said to him, you know hard way me, you know, and he starts punching over, you know, Chris, you know, you know, I don't even know how to throw a working punch. And so, you know, come on, hard. And he, I got him so pissed off, he's literally punching me in the face, trying to bust me over, and he can't. And he goes, Jesus Christ, you got a head like a rock. <laughs> and we go to the back, I walk up to him in the dressing room, I, I walk over, and he's sitting there, he's going, He's cussing up in a storm because he couldn't bust me over. I walk over and boom, I hit him with one hit on the eyebrow. <laughs> and he starts pouring blood. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, just, uh, but again, if, it, if it's agreed upon, you've got no complaint. You know, it's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's, 
but again, I just think this whole, you know, I, 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 but I guess that's the world we live in, right? If if I go online and I say I agree with Mikey Whipbrook on something, and somebody else disagrees with Mikey Whipbrook, then I get trolled, Mikey gets trolled, and it's uh, crazy. <laughs> and the we, insane we all get world trolled. we live in today. Yeah, right. Well, I think uh, a takeaway is for sure that Cody is trying to get over with that Japanese audience, that he's tough, you know, he's taking real shots, and, you know, they're all about that fighting spirit. And my second takeaway yeah. was I had, a, I had a sheet of paper of guys that uh, I never thought Shane would ever mention on the show, and Tiger Conway Jr. was first on that list, so that was a pretty good shocker. <laughs> well, look, as, as far as Cody goes, I've been a big fan of Cody's for, for a mm-hmm. long time. Uh, you know, watching him go out and in this, you know, in a, not in the latter stage of his career, the beginning stage of his career, working through this, you know, this stardust gimmick that, you know, was so beneath, I think, in my opinion, beneath what, uh, what Dusty Rhodes or anybody in that Rhodes vein, uh, you know, carrying on that, that torch. And yet he went out there and he did it with a professionalism and executed. I give him credit that when he walked away, I mean, let's face it, there's one in, there's one company in our industry for all intents and purposes today. And for him to have walked away and said, I'm willing to go out here and try this instead of continue to put up with that, that took big cojones. And to me, that gets, uh, that gets a lot of respect, you know? So, uh, I think Cody has, he's got his father's charisma, maybe not to the same degree yet, but you can see him coming out of that shadow of being Dustin Rhodes or Gold Dusts or Dusty's son, uh, you know, where he's really forging his own way in a different vein. And, uh, you know, those are big shoes to fill, you know, so... Not you know none of us can uh, I, at least I can't you know try to you know to, to explain in first person account as to what that would take, but you know like you said JP if he's if that's what he's doing is worth to get over that crowd and I'm sure that's what it is, and uh, you know then you know the, the shoot back in this business I wouldn't be a bit surprised if if uh, he and Glenn Gilberti had set this up before and then. <laughs> and you know, and and took it all that. Yeah, way. really. But you know, it's uh, it is what it is, and you know, the nature of the business today. Did either one of you ever wrestle disco? Oh, I did. Yeah, several I times. Did. Yeah, once, and it was plenty. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Twitter. There you go ahead. Now light it up. Let me troll me now. <laughs> troll me now. Here, light here it, it comes. <laughs> no, it was fun. We we got. Uh, I worked with, with him once on a Thunder, and it was a, you know, I wasn't booked. He wasn't booked, and then it was a, he was a book to get somebody else. Then somebody else didn't show up, and then we had a five minute match. Then we had a two minute match, and then we get out there, and then we had to go through. Then we had to go through a commercial break, and it was just like Jesus. But uh, it was fun. Good little match, and then. The highlight for me was we're walking to the walking back, um, you know, through the tunnel, and Ric Flair says that was a hell of a match, guys, and, and Flair, you know, <laughs> tapped me on the shoulder. So I'm like, okay, I'll take it. 
Wasn't that the best in WCW? Chartbuster. You know, in WCW, you'd get that, uh, you know, okay, you guys got eight minutes, 12 minutes, 18 minutes, whatever. And as you got closer and closer to the match, it would go cut in half. You know, so it was 18, it was now nine. And then cut in half again, four and a half. And then cut in half again, so you now you have two and a quarter. And then, like, your opponent would go to the ring, and as you're playing your music, Jimmy Hart would and say, you have 35 seconds. <laughs> you know, so, like, well, cut the match out, for God's sakes. They don't even walk out yeah. there for Jesus. <laughs> that, that was like my first night in WCW. I was I was I was going up. I was losing. I was going up. I was losing. Fifteen minutes, three minutes, twenty minutes, six minutes. I was like, oh, oh God. <laughs> so all the stuff you set up beforehand, all those that six hours of talking you did, just got thrown out the window. It did. I was going to waste. <laughs> You know, Mikey, you versus Disco was the whippersnapper against the Chartbuster, but your first match against Billy Kidman was actually did end up going 50 minutes. It was a hell of a match. So I remember yeah. that pretty vividly. Yeah, it was fun. That's what buried me. Good stuff. That was the end of my WCW career. You were too good. I was too good. I said to, I said to Jimmy Hart months later, I said, so – let me guess. If I would, if I would get in shape and have abs, and fuck up every spot, I would get a push like him. And I put it to Evan Courageous, and Jimmy said, "Yep, probably." <laughs> Great, I quit. And you get in the bump bumps afterwards, oh, right? It is terrible. <laughs> but actually, I was going to go to WCW in '96, and the franchise talked me out of it. Oh, I hear this. What happened? Oh, I'll, I I will never forget too. Uh, Nancy Sullivan wanted me to come down and talk to Kevin uh, at the Great American Bash '96 because I was going down just to visit with Mysterio because that was his debut down there. And you know, I go up, I talk to Nancy. Well, she brings me up, talks to Kevin. I talk to Kevin. You know, it's, you know, I'll, I'll bring in. I'm gonna tell you with Teddy Long. And at the time, I went. Ugh. I don't know how that's going to work, you know. And then, and that was it. And I, he goes, "You're going to tell Paul?" I said, I, well, "I said, yeah, I'll tell him." He goes, "Okay, you tell Paulie and everything else." I said, "Okay." Well, I'm 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 assuming that Kevin called Paul within like three minutes of be walking out the door. And yeah, we get to the we get to the show, we get to the show, and Paul goes, "Oh, Shane wants to talk to you," and I'm, I'm, I think. Oh God, I'm in trouble. I I just I can just feel the heat, right? Uh-huh. And Shane walks in. You made a beeline right to me. You go, come here. I want to talk to you. I'm going. Uh oh, this is not good. <laughs> and then and then you said to me, he goes, do you really think they're gonna know what to do with you? Are you going there just to go there, or are you going there because you want to go there? I'm going. Well, la la. And then you just we just talked for like 20 minutes, and then I said I said Paul I said uh. I would like to stay, if at all possible, <laughs> with, the, with the eyes closed. You're always welcome here. And then yeah. I said, I guess I'll call Kevin. He goes, I'll call Kevin. Well, I don't think you ever called Kevin. Is that right? <laughs> I don't think so. Cause well, that... When I saw him a couple years later, he's like, ah, you fucked me. A <laughs> 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 great night with Kevin. That's great. Well, that, but yeah, you talked about going to 96. 
that that sounds like the kind of advice I would have given because you know having been there and you know your again your character was a unique kind of character and had to be portrayed in a certain way. You couldn't just come in there and say, okay, here's Mikey Whipwreck working his way up the the, the ladder and you know he's he's getting up there. I mean, you know, I, I my personal opinion is that wouldn't have worked. You you were in a, a very finite spot in the way that ECW had built you and. The one thing about WCW, and it wasn't anything against Kevin or anybody else, it was a machine. So they go to the production meeting, and somebody's name comes up, Mikey Whipwreck. Okay, well, let's just put him in against so-and-so and see what happens. Or whatever. It, 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 it was too much haphazardness to it. And yeah. I knew that you're, you're a white meat baby face like that, as I had been years before there, is very easy to get lost in the fray. Because well he sells great so let's put it, let's feed him to you know Vader or whatever monster of the day is there and once you do that well then they say well he's pretty good at putting somebody over and you know you get sort of pushed down in that vein over there and ECW the one thing that I because you know the best of ECW was also the worst of ECW in this sense that we, because we didn't have a multi-billion dollar corporation behind us, a Panda Energy or a Time Warner or a Titan Sports, we had to make everybody on the show a star. Uh, we already had a thin bench as it was. So we couldn't say, well, let's go out there and fuck with Mikey Whipwreck or Chris Chetty or Joe Blow or whoever. We had to make everybody count and make everybody matter as best we could. And yep. at WCW, that's an afterthought. You know, that, that doesn't even come into play. To them, if they come in and they, they set you up in all the wrong ways and you don't get over, they'll say, well, the kid didn't get over. It's his fault. And, uh, you know, I was certain of that and looking at nothing against you or anybody else, just how that machine was run. And, you know, the subsequent end story to that is that they sold the entire thing lock, stock, and barrel tens of thousands of hours of incredible wrestling library, uh, all those television contracts, all of the things that they had, they sold all of it for $4.8 million. Uh, you know, if Jamie Keller's out there listening to any place somewhere tonight, then you ought to go look yourself in the mirror, turn on the bathroom light, pull out your razor blade, and pick up and <laughs> slice both wrists, and then sit down in the hot bathtub because that was the dumbest business move that I've ever heard of in this business. But it was so typical of WCW in those days. And not, not just Mikey Whipwreck, uh, Mikey Whipwreck, or Shane Douglas, fill in the blank of how many beyond that just got sort of lost in the shuffle someplace as they kept trying to play off Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair. Nothing against those guys. But by that time, by by the approach of the year 2000, it was time clearly to move on to something else, and they still were stuck in 1984. This is true. Two words from the franchise, you know, right there, everybody. Well, yeah, you know, and you look at the fact that you look at 97, 98, and you see, you know, when Raven leaves and Stevie Richards leaves and Mikey, you leave and the Sandman leaves, and you start to see everybody kind of migrating out of ECW, but in 96, was it still more protective of you guys watching each other's backs and saying you really taking that to heart that you want him to make the right decision? And maybe the money 
was the better decision, you know, financially, but career-wise at that point to stick with ECW was going to be best for Mikey to keep on building himself up, you know, from an in-ring perspective. So you were more protective, I guess, in that 96 era than you would have been maybe one or two years later. No doubt. And and there was also a bit of, uh, of uh, you know, self-preservation, you know, a little bit of uh, egocentrism to it. You know, with ECW, we had built all of the, all of us had been built there. And, you know, it was a family. You don't want to see the family broken up, uh, but you also don't want to hold somebody back. And, you know, it's, it's that balancing act. And, and my experience at WCW had been such, and, and, and from my vantage point of having been around the business, back in ECW, Mike, you can verify this or, or, or call me a liar if you want, but I, I took my role in the dress room very seriously that I was the guy that had been around those other companies and yep. had had that experience. And, you know, I wanted to impart that to everybody because I didn't want anybody to have to go in there and skin their knees. Like I had skinned my knees and learning it the hard way. And the thing with ECW was that it, uh, there was always this feeling that we were just about to hit it big, that it was, there was, you know, we had built, you know, we had, for those first three, four five years, we had literally busted our asses and our bodies to get this company on the verge. And now suddenly we, we've got pay-per-view with barely legal. And you now these you know, other things are happening. Uh, the, the heartbreak of that is in hindsight, not at the time that we knew it, but in hindsight is looking back and seeing that after doing all that, that in spite of all the hard work that we had done to set this company up for success, there were so many forces Vincent Mann involved in, in, in Paul's ear, uh, Steve Carroll, and so many other things that were going on behind the scenes that were out of our control that none of us, I, I didn't know then. I don't know if other people did. I was, uh, I was privy to a bit of it when I heard Vince's voice on the phone that day. But I had, at that point, I can clearly remember thinking to myself, Paul can't be this stupid. And... You know, at that moment, I didn't believe he was, but in hindsight, apparently he must have been, uh, you know, but, you know, we were, you know, it, it sounds cliche and it sounds like you're just, you know, saying it like a, like a talking point, but ECW really was a family. And, you know, of all the time, of all my years in the business, that was the only time I'd go back to, if I could snap my fingers and go back to any point, it would be those years again. And... Uh, I treasured it at the time, uh, but I just kept, I always thought the dance would never end. Like, you know, it, it's going great and it's getting better every year. Next year's going to be better than this year. I never saw the end coming and, and until it was, it was sadly too late. Yeah, you, you were definitely yeah. one of the, real quick, Jay, you were in the, in the locker room that had the experience to, to be like, not, I would not a top top guy, obviously, but you had success somewhere else, you know. So while, while Taz was telling me, brother, don't go, and SM was like, fuck them, and, and, and Dreamer's like, you don't want to go there, you know. You you taking the time to come talk to me, who, who had been there and had been other places, it was like, not to put you on a pedestal, but you were like the next generation for me of the Terry Funks, you know what I mean? Like you were like the, the guy who who had other places, been other places, and like you were the next generation of him for me. So, 
Well, and, and at the time I told you that stuff, I, it wasn't just a ploy to keep it from going and making money or whatever. I really, I, I just fervently believed that it was like everybody there, that it would just be somebody else lost in the shuffle. And, you know, once you walk away from one thing, it's hard to, to come back. Uh, you know, WCW at that point was so different from the company, you know, even though it was a different name. Uh, but the NWA that I went into as a kid that mm-hmm. was really hitting on all cylinders, the four horsemen were red hot. They had heels that had tons of heat, baby faces that were over Magnum and Sting and Dusty Rhodes. And, you know, it really was a, a, a well-rounded company. And then somewhere in the, in, in the main, in, in the intervening time from that point, to when it became WCW, and then at this point, when you know Ted Turner had taken a, a huge step back and was in the process of selling his company, uh, it was clear that WCW was a rudderless ship. You know, I remember thinking to myself when I was there that uh, that last time, and it was rare, but there were those rare nights when we'd really hit a home run. Like there'd be a show, you think that was a motherfucking hell of a show. And then you turn on WWE and, and and they would blow the roof off the place. And, you know, it always, I always, and it sounds like I'm making a joke, but seriously, I always felt like the coyote trying to grab the roadrunner. You know, like there was, no matter how good you were, they were always three steps ahead. And, you know, so looking at that from a corporate standpoint, and by that point, you know, it was clearly heading towards what we knew would ultimately, what we now know would ultimately come this ignominious end of this company that had beaten Vince's ass for what, 88 or 98 weeks, whatever the number is. And suddenly there was this, you know, one week they'd push left the next week they'd push right. The next week they'd push into the middle and then a little bit to the left, a little bit to the it was all over the place, and you could never get a feel for where the company was going. And uh, I didn't want to see any of my friends get get stuck in that. You know, it just, uh, A, there's no future in it. B, it's not fun. You know, it, it, the thing about ECW was we had fun every night, whether we were making money or not, but we always had a damn load of fun. And we did have fun. The, there was no fun in those other companies. WWF was not fun. WCW by that time was not fun. ECW was the one place you could go and make a decent living. Maybe not as good as the other companies, but you could have a shitload of fun in the process. And, you know, again, that, that family feel that, you know, you, 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 I, I had never seen anywhere before or since in the business. Yeah, and that, Shane, was one of your points when we spoke was because my thing was, okay, I started ECW in 94 and then did the TV title thing, then did the tag belts with Cactus, then we did the, well, I guess the heavyweight championship on me for, for two months. We did that. Mm-hmm. Then we went, we went back we went back to the, EC, the, the, tag, the tag titles with Cactus again, and then Cactus left, and I'm thinking to myself, well, now what do I do? Like, I feel like I was, like, floundering, doing nothing, you know? Yeah, and then, yep. And that was your point. He goes, well, you, you're probably going to flounder there and do nothing. Or you can, you, can, you can stay here, know that you have a spot, 
and when Paul thinks of something, he'll he'll give it to you, and and you'll have fun in the process, and you'll still continue to learn. So I'm like, well, yeah. Well, the point Shane just made. I'm thinking, well, I guess I'm not going anywhere right now. <laughs> so well, it's, uh, for for better or for worse, you know, it, it's uh, you know, it, it, as the old saying goes, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You can always look back and say this was a good move or a bad move. But uh, at that point, when there was so much, uh, so much movement in the comp in the business, you know, the, one week WCW looked to be getting traction, and then the next week they looked like a, like a bunch of fools. Uh, the same thing with WWF. You know, there was a you know period where they were looking like an idiot company, and yet in ECW, it always seemed to me that ECW had a very clearly defined vision of what it was. And to me, at that point in my career, like I didn't see, you know, like one week WWF be talking about, uh, you know, making jokes or taking stabs at WCW and then the next week trying to play the serious role. And then WWF or WCW would be taking shots by revealing the, the finishes of matches on their live show and, it just seemed to be like a like a fool's game at that point. Like these two were like like you know two badasses, two big badass guys that go outside the bar, and then they start jab slapping each other. You know that's that's what it looked like to me. You know, and, and meanwhile here was ECW that every night that ECW would put on a show, and there were a lot of nights we didn't hit it, but every night everybody worked their ass off to try to deliver. There was never a point where I felt like a rudderless ship. Yep. And that's exactly why when they come out to Replicon and the fans come and see you, they have so much to thank the ECW faithful and the guys who paved the way for that world of extreme. And that's going to be all at Replicon. Now we're going to get back to the big Replicon plug here in a minute, but as we get to start wrapping it up here, we got to throw out a little bit of information about our show coming up in May, our convention, the two man power trip, CMPT con two, and we're doing a little tag team work here. We're, we're having one guy tag out. We're having one guy tag in. And that is going to be Mikey Whipwreck coming down to Richmond, Virginia, and joining us at CMPTCon 2. Mikey, it's going to be our pleasure. Richmond, Virginia, are you looking forward to joining us in May and kind of bringing some love to a very underrated wrestling city of Richmond, Virginia? I worked in Richmond just a couple times. And the, the crowds are always great. I mean, I always had the good support down there. For some reason, the Baltimore, Virginia area down there, I always got, I always did really well down there. So it's, it's gonna be good to get down there, meet some people, say hi, have a good time, hang out, and it's, uh, you know, I'm just looking forward to it. I, I've kind of been out of the business for a while, so sticking my head out to see what's going on, and having people show interest in meeting me and things like that has just been great. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Who want to want to meet Mikey Whipwreck? Come on. They'd be silly not to come out to CMPTCon. And it's May 19th in Richmond, Virginia. You can go to our website, which is CMPTOfWrestling.com. We just announced uh, another big addition by one of the vendors, as Scott Hall will also be joining CMPTCon 2 down there in Richmond. So it's going to be one crazy night, one crazy day down there. We're only about two months away. It's, uh, it's fast approaching, but guys, you're heading down to New Orleans. New Orleans, a hell of a town, a party town, but it's wrestling all over 24-7 for about four days. So, Mikey, I'm going to go to you first. 
Final thoughts on WrestleCon heading into it. What are you looking forward to, and what do you have to say about those who want to come out and say hi to the great Mikey Whipwreck? Well, just looking forward to coming down, meet everybody, uh, just be part of the whole uh, WrestleCon, uh, WrestleMania uh, experience. It's going to be great. Um, you know, fans from all over the world come out. Uh, it's just going to be a great time. I hear a lot of the ECW guys are going to be down, uh, you know, get to sit with uh, Shane and Jerry, share stories, have a good time, a couple laughs as always. Uh, you know, just really looking forward to it. It's a, it's a first for me doing the whole WrestleCon thing. So, uh I'm excited to walk around, meet people, and just uh, be kind of a fan, if you will. <laughs> hey, now, Shane, now I'm going to pass it over to you. Now, everybody talks about WrestleMania moments and all these great things happening at WrestleMania, and sometimes the uh, the, the WrestleMania card ends up being a little bit more than just a, uh, you know, a, a little drizzling fart that comes out of WWE's butt, but you are no stranger <laughs> to WrestleCon and the fans who come out to see you, they always get their money's worth. So, Shane, what are you looking forward to with WrestleCon and kind of what do you have to say to the fans that are going to come out and get their asses franchised? Yeah. Well, every year at WrestleCon, like I said, you meet so many cool fans from around the world. And when you hear these fans come up and they start reciting specific points of your career, you know, they, they didn't just, you know, go watch a five- or ten-minute YouTube video. They're genuinely fans. And the fact that they're going to be able to come this year and see, uh, you know, three former ECW champions, Mikey Whipwreck, Jerry Lynn, and Shane Douglas. And, by the way, Francine will be in the uh, in the building, and there will be some crossovers uh, uh, for the fans as well. So th- this is going to be a chance for the fans to come down and really relive, even though they've seen me for, you know, the last – I think I've been at every uh, WrestleCon since inception – this will be the first time that the fans will be able to come down and see not just one guy, but three of the guys that really built ECW to what it became. And uh, that chick that was on my arm all those years, the head cheerleader, queen of extreme, Francine in the house at the same time. This is going to be a really different WrestleCon. And for the first time in WrestleCon history, you're going to be able to see all these people in one place at one point and rub elbows to all of them, and vice versa for us, getting a chance to say hello to all the fans that around the world remember and look to ECW for what it was of having changed the business. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a hell of a damn good time down in New Orleans this coming uh, weekend. The last time I was in New Orleans, we did the ECW uh, it was Halloween. We had a, did we have a pay-per-view, Shane, down there? Were you there I, for that? Was that? I, I was. That, wasn't that the one where Chris Candido messed his neck up? I, yeah. Yes, it was. That's, that's, just, that's just the show Jack Victory broke his leg. Yes. Yes. Well, the last time I was in New sure. Orleans, we, we did, that, we did that, that parade on Bourbon Street on Halloween. Yes. Well, all firmly <laughs> got me drunk. And I fell through the, the windshield of the pickup truck on Bourbon Street. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to duplicate this this coming weekend. Well, we could duplicate the drunk part. I don't know about the windshield. No bumps for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's that that weekend, as I were, you know, that, that last time you're talking about, I just remember being ungodly hot down there. And we went out afterwards. 
down to Bourbon Street, and it was like one of those, you know, you see the these movies that have these like like surreal dream sections or segments in them, like where you know, like all this crazy shit's going on and stuff. And that's what that last time down in New Orleans, down on Bourbon Street, and doing the whole deal uh, was, you know, people were running around with masks and and you know everybody just. <laughs> just really drunk as a skunk and having a great time. And then about four o'clock in the morning, I go down to get a diet Coke or something out of the machine. And there's Chris Candido with his neck fucked up. He's in the gym running a million miles an hour on the uh, treadmill and lifting weights. <laughs> it was like, like some kind of like bizarre twilight zone episode, you know, it's, <laughs> but that's yeah, what the world is supposed to be. And it's going to be again this weekend. Oh, it is definitely is. Well, you can get all the information at WrestleCon.com. It's April 5th through April 8th, taking place all weekend, and there's uh, just absolutely shitload of shows going on from every independent promotion that could get a venue in New Orleans. So it's going to be – it's WrestleMania weekend, but it's literally wrestling weekend. And if you're a fan of wrestling, you'll get your butts down to New Orleans, and you'll check it out. So as we get to sign off here, I just want to hand it over to Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey, I can't, I can't really hear myself right now for whatever's going on in the background, but Mikey, please share with the listeners of the two-man power trip where they can find anything and everything in the world of Mikey Whipwreck. I'm just saying by somebody on that, that giant bong hit. <laughs> you going to share that or what? Good <laughs> What were we talking about? <laughs> what time is it? I completely lost my train of thought, but Mikey, just tell them where your social media is so we can get out of here. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm not, I'm not verified. I am uh, at Mikey. At None Mikey of us are. <laughs> we're not good enough. That is ECWA. We'll, we'll just push league. Yeah. Yeah. Low budget. All the WWE accounts are verified, though. Anyway, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's at Mikey Whipwreck underscore at the end because I'm weird. Um, you can get Mikey Whipwreck compared at prowrestlingtees.com slash Mikey Whipwreck. Anybody that buys a shirt, I do give you a phone call. Maybe not the next day, not two days later, but I eventually do give you a call. Uh, and that's pretty much it. I don't uh, – no real Facebook or anything, so. Man, if I, if I could just jump in here for a second, I just want to, Mike, thanks for coming on this weekend. It's, it's, it's made a hell of a lot of good memories and had a good time talking with you. Tonight. Just really great warm-up for leading into this uh, WrestleCon weekend coming up next weekend. We're going to have a hell of a good time. We're, we're laughing now. We're too in person. And, like, I was talking to Jerry. Jerry and I get together. It's like Beavis and Butthead. You know, you had the franchise for that. It's going to be nothing. <laughs> should, I, should, I, should I bring my horns with me or should I leave them at home? Bring them. <laughs> Done. They're already packed. <laughs> awesome. And then if you want to get us on Twitter, it's at the franchise SD for the franchise and at Two Man Power Trip for the great Two Man Power Trip. I'm going to put us over now. So as we like to end it, Shane, I hand it over to you. Take us out in only the way the franchise can and get us on our way to episode number 43 next week. We're within mere hours of WrestleCon. Where the hell else on the planet can you hear the franchise, Mikey Whipwreck, Chad and JP, the Triple Threat Podcast? You don't want to make sure you miss out on anything next week. 
Because if you do, there's only one thing that's going to happen. Mikey, you're going to get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.